You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. To give you just a little bit of context around this, Genesis 26. What took place here in the land of Gerar, which the Philistines occupied, and Isaac was still nomadic in so many ways. He was living uh, on the land where he could. As God blessed him, and he was raising his family and his, his flocks and his herds that God had blessed him with. But a famine hits. And this is the same thing that happens to Abraham. And what Abraham does is this. And his storyline, and this is all going to come home. I'm not going to bore you with just useless facts, but this is all going to tie together. Is that when famine hits Abraham, and he's in, almost in the same place, Abraham goes down to Egypt. So what Isaac does is he thinks back to, hey, what did dad do? And he starts to head down to Egypt when the famine strikes the land. But God speaks to him and says, no, stop, Isaac. I'm going to bless you here. Don't leave. And so Isaac dwells in the land of the Philistines there in Gerar. And he makes another mistake that his father made. And it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Again, this is all going to come together in just a minute. Because these things oppose faith is that Isaac did the same thing that his dad did when his dad was in Egypt. He told the Egyptians that Sarah was not his wife, but his sister. Until almost, 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 until God intervened. Because something immoral was going to happen, and God intervened. Well, Isaac makes the same mistake. He tells the Philistines that Rebekah, because she is so beautiful is not his wife because he's afraid for his own life. He lets fear come in. Now, do you see something that's, that's, that's happening here? Now listen, listen. Don't, don't just listen with your ears, but listen with your heart. Because God promised something, but Isaac stepped into a different pathway, didn't he? And so he tells the Philistines that Rebekah is his sister, not his wife, until almost, almost just like his father with Sarah Somebody does something immoral with Rebecca, and then God intervenes. Isaac is following the same pathway as his father. The Bible tells us that in that time, what happens is that God begins to bless Isaac to the place where the Philistines say, you can't stay here anymore. Abimelech, which is a title for a king, of the Philistines, goes to the king of the Philistines, goes to Isaac and says, listen, you can't stay here any longer. You become too powerful, too great. So Isaac begins to go out into the valley of Gerar. He just gets out of city limits and he goes into the valley and he takes his herds. But he remembers that his dad had dug some wells. Now the significance of wells was this. It wasn't just a sign of your prosperity and your wealth, but it was a necessity for people who were shepherds. They had to have places where they could draw their flocks to graze, but they could also drink and supply water. It was a life source for their family and for their flocks. And so he remembers that dad dug some wells, and he sets out to reopen the wells that his dad had dug. And I want to pick up in the scripture and read this to you in Genesis 26, verses 17 through 21. It says this, so Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. 
and gave them the same names that his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, This water, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek, which means that they disputed with him. And then he dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named that one Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it, and he named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Isaac goes to reopen his father's wells in the first Two wells that he comes to, the first two wells that Scripture tells us that he comes to is this. He digs one, and one's named Esek, and one's named Sitna. And both of those words have similar meaning, and they mean struggle, contention, quarrel. Because the the herders of the Philistines had, had fought over them, and they said, no, these are ours. Even though they had stopped them up, even though they had rendered them useless, even though they had done it spitefully, he, they, they said, no, you can't have this. Even though it was rightfully his, you can't have it. And they caused contention, they caused dispute, they quarreled over it. Until he comes to the final well. And all of these wells had names that his father had named them, but because his experience was different than his father's, Isaac gave them a new name. Now, remember again that all of this is in light of the promise that God had given Isaac. I'm going to bless you here. I remember the covenant that I cut with your father. You're part of this, Isaac. I'm going to continue this in you. And he comes to the final well, and he digs it, and there's no quarreling, and he names it Rehoboth, which means there is room, there is room, there is room. And then what happens next is so powerful and so interesting is this, is that Isaac goes to a place called Beersheba, and he swears a covenant with God. And in Genesis 26, 23 through 25, it says this, From there he went up to Beersheba that night. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. I want to talk to you this morning and give you some some keys to redigging this well of faith. What's interesting, one more thing about Beersheba is this, is that in Genesis 21, we see the same story happening with Abraham and Abimelech, the king then of the Philistines, where Abraham cuts covenant with the Philistines. And this was a a place, Beersheba was a place of an oath. It was a place of an oath, but this time in Isaac's life, what happens here is that he cuts covenant with God. And he says, God, God speaks to him and solidifies and anchors him in this promise and says, listen, Isaac, I know what you're doing. I know that you are trying in part to figure this out in your own strength, in your own ability. But understand, just like your father who could not conceive or could not understand how a nation would come from barrenness, I am the God who is faithful. I will be faithful to you. It is not based on your ability to perform. It is based on the truth of who I am. 
All right. So we're talking about redigging the well of faith. Now, if you're taking notes, you can jot these things down if you want to. The first thing, the starting block I want to give you is this. Is that in order to redig the well of faith, you have to look to the promise. You have to look to the promise. You can't look at the obstacles. You can't look at the things that aren't happening. You can't look at the shortcomings of your emotions. You can't look at the, at the lack of your resources. You have to look at the promise. You have to look at the promise. What has God promised you? What has God promised you? What has He spoken to you? Is it something about restoration in your marriage? Is it something about your children? Is it something about your future? Is it something about your health? Is it a promise of His security to be with you through the hard times that you might feel like you're walking through? What has God promised you? In order for the well of faith to be redug in your life, in order for the well of faith to be redug in this house, we have to understand what God has promised us. Because this is the truth, that this narrative in Genesis 26 looks quite differently if God is not in the middle of it. And we know from Isaac's life that he wrestled with a lot of things and he tried to figure out a lot of things in his own ability and his own strength. But the narrative looks completely different if God is not speaking. And for every one of us, in order for faith to grow, we have to anchor ourselves and look to the promise. So what is God saying? And if you don't know what God is saying, then that has to be the cry of your heart. God, what are you saying to me? You need to be in the Word. You need to be in prayer. You need to spend time to listen. You need to cut other things out until you hear what God is saying. Faith does not work based on our assumptions. It does not work based on our feelings. It only can be anchored to the truth of the one who is unchangeable and the one who fulfills what he says he will do. What has God promised you? The second thing I want to direct you to in this, in this, in this topic of looking at the promise is this. What is the ground where you are sitting? And I want, to think, I want you to think about Freedom Christian Fellowship. And in the ground of this church, there is a well of faith. As a matter of fact, some of you are, are new, a lot of you are new, and, and you don't know the history of this church that much, but there, this church was started by two wonderful, fantastic, powerful people, uh, Pastor Monty Hanks and, and Pastor Marla Hanks. And, and what was in the ground of this and what God did in the ground of this, and this is what is reflected in our vision, was a well of faith. This is where I learned faith, really to walk in faith. This is where I learned that God is healer, and that's challenging sometimes. Oh, that's challenging, isn't it? But he's healer. This is where I learned that God is freedom. And in the, 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 the well of this ground, the promise of this ground, there is a well of faith. There is a well of healing. There is a well of freedom. There is a well of salvation. And sometimes we have to look at where we're sitting in the same way. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Think about it. Somebody dug those wells that Isaac redug. I'm getting a little preachy here, okay? So just everybody, 
Buckle up, settle down, you know. Just getting cruise control, lean your seat back. Isaac didn't dig those wells up originally. Oh, no. And in your life, I want to just direct your focus and your attention to this, is that some of you have a well that is in your family, a well of faith that, that has been covered up that you need to redig. Some of you, there is a well of the truth of the word that your family had put inside of you, and, and it's, it's there, but maybe some junk and some mess and some bad decisions started to cover it up, but you don't need to redig a new well. You don't need to go and find another well. What you need to do is you need to contend for the well that God begun in your life. Hmm. Hmm. What is the pro- what has God promised you? Where is the ground that you're sitting? I want to talk to you, just switch gears for just a second, and I want to talk about some of the enemies of our faith. And I want to encourage you just to write these down, please. As the bulk of this message this is just going to be spent about talking how we unlock our faith. <clears throat> but I need to acknowledge these things. The first enemy of our faith is doing what we've always done. Doing what we've always done. One of the things that almost usurped Isaac from, from seeing the promise of God was this, is that he started just to go into the old moves that his daddy had seen his dad do. He'd heard about his, what his dad did. He just started going into those old moves. And sometimes that's just so instinctual in our, in our, in our lives when we're walking through the challenge of, of walking out our faith is just to do what we've always done. But here's the thing. That's not always bad. But sometimes it can handicap us. Sometimes it can limit us. And sometimes what God is saying is that I want to do something different inside of you. I want it to look different. I want it to be different. I want to give you a new experience. And this is really one of the things that I love about this narrative in Genesis 26. Is though even that Abraham had, had, had dug these wells and named them. That Isaac had to come to him and he had to, even though he redug them, he had to rename them. Because if I could just say it bluntly like this, if you're living off of mom and dad's faith or just the the history of faith that's in your family without an expression of a new step of faith, a new new action toward God, a new relationship with God, then then you're probably moving in a place that's not going to lead you very far. And sometimes the enemy of our faith is just doing what we've always done, just moving into ritual. Listen, friends, this is just the truth, and this is just who we are, but you just can't come to church because it's an obligation. Oh, no, don't do it. Don't come. You're, gonna, you're hearing from only pastor, I'll probably tell you this, just don't go to church. If church is a ritual for you, don't come. But I would also invite you while you're not at churches to pray and to ask God, Say, would you pour out something fresh in my heart, a fresh revelation of who you are? Because the next time you go into church, whether it's this one or somewhere else, it's not going to be because of it's what you've always done, but it's going to be a fresh expression of the love that God has for you and you taking a fresh step of faith toward him. 
And this idea of ritual is a dangerous one, isn't it? Because even though we don't mean to, sometimes we do. And it has to be our heart cry to say, God, every time we come into your presence, whether it's on a Sunday or on a weekday when we're spending time with you, it needs to be a fresh experience. Why? Because God wants to reveal himself to you in a fresh way every time you meet with him. The second enemy of our faith is this, is stepping into fear. Stepping into fear. When we look at the things that oppose what God is asking us to do. And friends, that can be anything concerning our faith. That can be as simple or as powerful, I should say, as us walking in true freedom because we don't believe. We're afraid of who we are. We're afraid of the mistakes that we made. We're afraid We're afraid and we're not receiving the grace of Jesus. That can be in the area of forgiveness when God asks us to take a step toward forgiveness and reconciliation. And when fear begins to step in and say, well, what will that person say? What will that person think? How will that person respond? That can come in the way if God asks you to take a big step and to follow him in a new direction. And you say, well, there's not certainty there. I don't know. And fear begins to pop up. But fear and faith collide. They do not go hand in hand. And the way that we overcome fear is by taking a step of faith in the peace of God that he has given us. And the comfort of acknowledging that he is the one that upholds us. Third area is this. Is working out the promise and your own strength. Working out the promise in your own strength. If Isaac had a family tradition that came before him with Abraham and exceeded past him, it was this. And we all struggle with this and we can all be honest about this. Is that sometimes when we hear God speak immediately instead of going into a place of listening and asking God for the next step to be obedient, to take, to trust him, we begin to work it out. We begin to work it out. We begin to rationalize it. We begin to figure it out. We begin to put it into the strength of our own might and our own wisdom, our own ability, our own resource. But if we can learn anything from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and and all these people in, in, in our own life, is that this this truth reality of this is that when we try to figure out things in our own strength, it doesn't work, does it? Is that there is something that opposes faith when we try to do it. Why? In our, in our own ability. And why? Why? Because the one who calls us and calls us into the unseen to trust him. That puts a certainty and a hope inside of us. Is also the one that delights in performing the things that we need to accomplish what he has called us to That's part of the journey. And these three things that we look at, and I'm sure there's more, but these are enemies of our faith. When we do what we've always done, when we get stuck into ritual, when we step into fear, or we begin to work out the promise in our own strength. And so I want to talk to you now, and this will be the bulk of what I'm going to say this morning. is how we unlock our faith. How we unlock our faith. The first thing is this, is that we have to build upon the foundation. We have to build upon the foundation. If you're going to redig the well of faith in your life, if as a church we're going to redig the well of faith in this church, then we have to build upon the foundation. 
The first foundation, of course, is the foundation of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. Write this down. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one, this is the Apostle Paul talking, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is of Jesus Christ. Which is of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the foundation. He is the anchor to our faith. Here in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking to the Corinth, the church in Corinth, and they are fighting over who they follow. Is it Apollos? Is it Paul? And Paul goes, man, you guys are being silly. Because Apollos did a part, I did a part, according to the grace that God had given us. But you're not building upon us what you're building upon. The cornerstone, the person you follow is Jesus Christ. And your faith has to be built first and foremost on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is where our faith starts and grows from. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Listen very carefully to me. He is our salvation. He is our peace. He is our freedom. He is our life. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. It starts there. If you're starting your journey of faith and you don't know Jesus, you need to stop and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Friends, let me say it like this, because when I say that, that glances off the top of people's heads because they said, I checked that box a long time ago. And, and you may have and good, good, good for you. But Jesus Christ being the Lord of your life means way more than just praying a simple prayer. He has to be the cornerstone. He has to be the cornerstone. He has to be the thing that your life is built upon, that you have submitted your life to. Your faith works when it is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. The second foundation that needs to be built in our life is a foundation of the Word. A foundation of the Word. Romans ten seventeen says this, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard. Through the word about Christ. The word of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God testifies to Jesus from the old to the new. It testifies about the risen Jesus Christ. It testifies about the one who came to earth, the Messiah, the Son of God. It testifies of that grace. It testifies of that salvation. It is the anchor to our soul. It is what we base and put our faith in. We don't place our faith on our feelings or our experiences, but on the concrete truth of the Word of God. I heard a preacher say this, so, um, it was actually in an, an audio book that I was listening to. He's a pastor out of Canada. And he was saying that he, pray, you know, praying for people, and when people and believers get in and they, they come to a place where their faith is being stretched and they're crying out to God, the question that he always asks him is this, is that where are you anchoring your faith at? And a lot of times when we're crying out to God, and, and this, I don't want this to sound harsh, listen, but this is a truth that can really begin to set you free to dig that well of faith, is that we're just hoping. That's all we're doing. 
A lot of times when we say faith, we're just, it's, it's almost a mystical thing that we're crossing our fingers and saying, oh God, God, please, please, please. But we're not, we're not anchoring in anything in the word of God. And friends, your faith is going to work when you anchor it to the word of God. When you anchor it to the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and you anchor it to the word of God. If you're going to build a foundation, if you're, going to, if you're going to have a foundation for your faith to grow, you have to have the Word of God in you. Why? Because it speaks a better word. It speaks a truth about you. It speaks the message of salvation. It speaks the message of healing. It speaks the message of peace. It speaks the message of freedom. And you have to anchor yourself to that. The third foundation is this. You guys okay? Okay. The third foundation is this, is the foundation of what's been done. I know that sounds uh, contradictory to what I said about falling into a pattern, but here is the thing, is that sometimes our faith needs a catalyst. This is not what we build our faith on alone, but sometimes we use this as a catalyst. In Mark eleven twenty two through 23, Jesus has this challenging um, exchange with his disciples after a very interesting uh, incident that happens. I'm going to read this to you. He says, uh, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they, will, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Now, this is a, oftentimes a very misquoted scripture, but here Jesus is using a big language to explain something. And what takes place is this, is that before this uh, little dialogue that we just read, uh, Jesus is going through and he sees a fig tree that is not bearing any fruit, and so he curses this thing. Now, there is a tremendous amount of writing and scholarship on the nature of this fig tree because just very simply, it feels very un-Jesus-like for him to just randomly curse a fig tree. That's what we would qualify as the confusing, not nice Jesus. The things we don't like to focus on are the things we like to sugarcoat. Oh. Why not just bless the fig tree, man? You turn water into wine. Just make the fig tree bear figs, bro. Why do you got to curse it? And then they come back a little while later, and they see that this thing's withered up and dead. And his disciples are like, dang. Jesus. They're like, pew, 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 you know. Die, fig tree. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, my mind goes to weird places when I, I think about this. Yeah, they're probably like, you know, there's a couple of brother groups in the disciple. They're probably like, you know, Andrew's like, die, 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 Peter. You know, like, I don't know. Bad, dumb, dumb joke line. All right. Some of you guys, you, whatever, forget it. But they're confused. And so what Jesus gives us is this dialogue that we just read. And here's what he's saying is this, is that you guys are amazed. You guys are amazed that I spoke in faith to this fig tree and I commanded it to die. You're amazed. But here's what you need to understand is that the nature of faith is this, is that when we line up and we do and we anchor ourselves on this and we anchor ourselves in the truth of Jesus, the word of God, when we do this and we speak the things that God is speaking to us, and again, they line up with the word, then God begins to move. And so Jesus was showing them a pattern. 
He gave an example of his faith and he instructs his disciples. That this is how you grow in faith. That this is how you grow in faith. Now, if you look at this, Jesus is not asking us to run up to mountains and command them to be thrown into the sea. If any of you have tried that and it works, let me know. Video it for sure, okay? Let let me see how it goes. But here's what we need to understand is this. Don't doubt. That faith and doubt can't, can't mix in our heart. And this is, again, so challenging, right? Because it moves us past what we see. It moves us out of the realm of the natural, but this is where faith grows, and it grows from the Spirit. And you have to understand that there are a lot of things in our lives that that try to impede what the Holy Spirit is saying. Things that rest in the seat of our soul, our mind, will, and emotions that, that, that just impact faith and push it down so many times. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, I could see and I know that you're wrestling with this truth. You don't understand what I was doing, but you're not thinking through the Spirit. You're thinking through your experiences. You're thinking through what you feel is right and what you feel is wrong and what happened before and what can't happen and what can't happen. But I want to tell you this. That these things do not mix with faith. And we don't like that. I don't like that. But Jesus is giving a principle here. And he's saying this, if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe. This is the principle. And sometimes the foundation of faith that's been laid before us is something that we can catalyst off of. Oh, man. Oh, man. Sometimes when we've seen God move before, sometimes when we've seen people, mom or dad or pastors or leaders or people or friends that have have trusted God in their, in their journey of faith. Sometimes it spurns us on. It gives us a catalyst and we can begin to grow. That doesn't become our story, but it charges us to take a step of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that and it gives this long list of people in, in what we call the hall of faith. I don't know why we call it that, but they're just men and women who walked by faith that not seeing, not, not ever seeing what the promise fully was. And then it goes on and says, listen, you are built upon the foundation of these people. You're built upon the foundation of these people. And sometimes in our life, we need the leverage that comes from people who have walked the walk of faith. What did you feel when the pastor from Romania was here? Did you feel faith? Did you feel somebody who could trust God in the impossible? Did that spurn you on to something? All right. Build upon the foundation. Build upon the foundation. The next thing is this. We keep unlocking our faith. Is overcoming contention and oppression. In order to unlock the well of faith inside of us, we have to overcome contention and oppression. Hey, Justin, come on up, man. We got a ways to go, but I want you to play behind me for a little bit. I know you love doing that so much, man. He plays a certain song, and that's cue for me to land the plane. That, that, that term, land the plane, and preacher talk is, finish up, man. 
Land the plane, bro. <laughs> Have you ever been in a plane before and you're up in the air and they're like, we're going to be descending and da-da-da-da, and you're just like circling around? You're circling around. You're like, land the plane, bro. Land the plane. And you know what happens? You know why they're not landing the plane? Because something has to happen in order for the plane to land. Something needs to be cleared off the runway. Somebody else might need to land. So here's what I'm going to tell you is that this, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, all right? Overcoming contention and oppression. Contention means to strive. This is what happened with Isaac, the first two wells that he dug. He, met, he was met with contention and oppression. But in our lives, what we strive with is our actions, or our words, and you know, we quarrel in our heart when it comes to this well of faith that God wants to dig. In Hebrews 11, 1, it says, Now faith is a confidence, is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And if I can be really honest with you, these terms here that are used in Hebrews 11, 1, have always been a bit of a wrestling match for me. Because hope it's something that is a challenge sometimes, isn't it? Especially hope in what we do not see. But I want us to notice what the scripture says here. It says faith is a confidence of what is hoped for. Confidence in what? If you can't see it, what are you confident in? What are you confident in? What are you basing your faith on? And what you're basing your faith on is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. The truth that you know that God has called you. If you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know He loves you. You know He is calling you. You know that He is working something in your life. That He is producing something in you. And so this confidence is in the confidence of the working of Christ in us. And we have to stay in tune with that. Because otherwise we're going to fall into a place of contention and striving for things. The assurance of what we do not see. Friends, I want to just be very honest with you. Is, is that this, again, I'm just speaking out of my vulnerability for a moment. But this is difficult. Maybe it's difficult because I'm stubborn. Maybe it's difficult because... I've got control issues. Maybe it's difficult. I don't know why. I like to blame it on my parents, but it's really my fault. But for many of us, this is a difficult thing to have insurance in what we do not see. And what that means is this, is that learning to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit and listening to the Spirit, and this doesn't happen overnight. There's keys that make this happen, but the purpose of this is to keep us from getting into a place where we strive or contend for something in our flesh. And what I believe the answer is, is this. It's to learn how to rest in the peace of God. And I want to invite you into this principle. 
as our world gets more and more busy, and there's more and more things that are vying for your attention, and our, it feels like, at least for me, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. How many times do you look at your cell phone? Some of you are like, not at all. That's because you have a smartwatch and you're looking at your smartwatch. How many things are vying for your attention and, and, and we miss the principle of this, that this, this call of faith, this well of faith that has to be dug up has to come through this learning how to be at rest and peace with God, to slow down. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, just jot this down. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Learning to give God the, 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 the wholeness of our heart, I believe personally, can only happen, and the well of faith can only be dug when we stop. When we learn to rest, when we learn to listen, when we learn to be still and hear the peace of God, Lean not into your own understanding. Have you ever started praying to God and, and you begin to li just line out all the issues and then begin to talk through the problems yourself? And you quickly realize that you're not having a conversation with God, you're just merely talking to yourself. And that's okay. That's okay. Friends, you can start there. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't end there. Because sometimes it's not until we learn to be still and to be quiet, to hear, to know the peace of God, to trust His voice, to spend enough time in His presence where we begin to understand His voice, do we really get past the place of trusting our own understanding? I believe that the Lord is calling our church back to prayer. And I know that can be an exciting thing for some and a challenging thing for others. And, and let me say it like this. What the Lord is speaking to me about in prayer for our church goes like this. First, creating multiple opportunities for people to gather together and pray. Second is teaching people how to pray. How to come into the presence of God. Because we probably all have a special way we pray, or some of us may not know how to pray. But here's the thing, is that praying and, and, and getting into the presence of God is not a complicated thing. It's not a formula. It centers itself around intimacy, being still, and understanding the purpose of prayer. But the third thing is this, in order for that well of faith to be redug, friends, I got to tell you, is that there has to be a commitment to prayer. Is that we can't simply just say we love prayer and not come to prayer. 
That if we make times available for prayer, then there has to be a sacrifice where we come and we join together and pray. And here's what I would promise you is this, is that sacrifice of prayer, if you would make it, that it would result in something so beneficial and meaningful to your life. That you would begin to see a well of faith being dug inside of your life that helped you to begin to anchor yourself to the trust, the calling, the peace, and the freedom of God. Part of moving past contention and striving means this. That there are sometimes some some difficult things that are learned in our faith journey, with contention and oppression, that there are times that we take a step in faith and we're met with some pushback. And the key here is this. As much as rest is important in overcoming contention and striving and learning to hear the voice of God and getting into a place of the sacrifice of prayer, sometimes not giving up is just as important. In James 1, 2 through 4, it says this. Again, I'm not a fan of the book of James because it just punches you in the face. Some of you guys are a little offended by how real I talk about the scripture. I'm sorry. Don't push autopilot when you read the Bible. Oh, I'm not joking. I'm being serious. Wrestle with it. You're in a good line of heritage when you wrestle with the word. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's what James is telling us is this. Is that there's going to be times you're going to get pushback. Times that you're going to have to contend and don't give up. Because God is producing something in you. There are so many people in this room today that you've been fighting a faith battle. You have been, when, let, me, let me just say it like this, forget that, I'm sorry, that was a really cheesy Christian term. That you have been struggling in your faith, trying to get through to the other side. To hold on to the promises of God, but it feels like you're just getting bam, bam, bam. Don't give up. And what I want to encourage you is this, and this is a challenge, this is a challenge. I say this in great grace and just great, great grace, great grace. Stop looking as much at the promise as you look at the process. Start asking God to say, what are you showing and what are you doing in me? What are you reassuring me with? Because I want, to, I want to tell you this, that as much as the promise, whatever we're anchoring ourselves to, whether it's healing, whether it's restoration, whatever it is, that there is something that God is perfecting in you in the midst of contention and striving in this place, that he is perfecting something in you. He's reassuring you of something. He's reassuring you the confidence that he's right there, that he's never going to leave you, that he's maybe yanking some stuff out of you, that he's, he's fixing some stuff, he's healing your heart. And there's these wonderful things that God is doing. And when we take and we put our attention on the process as much as we do the promise, what happens is that God begins to mature us and complete us so that we're able to stand. You don't have anything to worry about. If the one, if God has spoken it to you, you have nothing to worry about it. 
because he'll perform it. But when you're going through a struggle and a trial and concerning your faith, don't give up. Keep pushing in. But in that process, hear God's voice and see what he is doing inside of you in the midst of that process. Okay, two more things. In order for us to dig the well of faith, we need to expand our heart for something more. We need to ask God to expand our hearts for something more. This is a legitimate prayer. The final well that Isaac dug, that the scripture tells us about, he called Rehoboth, which means roominess. I believe that in order for faith to grow inside of us, we need to ask God to expand our hearts. Here's what happens sometimes when we pray this prayer and we say, God, would you expand my heart to hear you, to, to have the well of faith grow, just to understand your peace, to know, trust your, where you're calling me, your provision. Sometimes this means getting rid of the old things. When we ask God to expand our hearts, sometimes what he does is I'm going to do a little bit of a clean out. I'm going to. I'm a declutter. We do, my wife and I joke about this because we've moved several times. <laughs> I'm laughing before I even told you the story. Some of you started laughing already too. And, and, and this is how she moves. She wants everything boxed up and in order. And she buys totes. And they're pretty. But I hate boxes and totes. You know why? I carry them. So you know my method of moving is? Let it go. Let it go. It don't matter no more. Right? I'm like, where's the dumpster at? We don't use it. We don't use it. That's the kids' toys. They don't need them. <laughs> we just bought those bicycles. They don't even ride them. <laughs> and then once we get settled in our new place, I'm like, hey, where did that go? She's like, you threw that away. So, well. We didn't need it, babe. <laughs> I could have like four things in my house, and I think I'd be all right. But sometimes my wife just called me a liar. Y'all heard that. Wow. All right. Sometimes when we ask God to expand our heart, this means that he, he needs to get rid of some old things, some maybe unconfessed sin. And this is never bad. This is never bad when God deals with the sin issue in our life. If there's something that's unconfessed, a part of us. Here, here, let me give you a new expression on this idea of sin. Yes, yes, sin is bad. But here's the thing is that sin impedes our freedom. It impedes the work of faith in our life and impedes us hearing the heart of God. It impedes us being in peace. And sometimes there's places in our life where we have unconfessed sin, where we need to let the Holy Spirit deal with. Sometimes it can be unforgiveness. Sometimes it can be wrong thinking or wrong thoughts. Some of you, in order for the well of faith to grow, that you need to get rid of some wrong thinking and some wrong thoughts. Maybe a way that is wrong that you thought about God. Some of you might struggle with being able to trust God because you think that God it could be mad at you. He's not. He's not. He's not. 
Some of you think that God can't use you because of what has happened in the past in your old life, and that's wrong thinking, especially when the Bible says that when you've come to Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And a lot of times we get this and we get trapped in this, and there needs to be some decluttering. Expanding our hearts for something more might mean that we need to carve out some time to listen and to receive. To recreate an appetite for the Lord. If I could just gently challenge us, if this is you this morning and you are saying, listen, I need this well of faith to be redug in my life, then I would challenge you to spend the first part of your day in His presence, in the Word, even if it's just a few minutes. If you pray in the Holy Spirit or... And that's not just about praying in, in, in a spiritual language. This is praying in the Spirit. Is listening to the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit. Then pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit for a deeper revelation of Jesus. In your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to just expand your heart and say, would you just show me the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus in a, in a greater and a deeper way? And as that happens, what happens is that faith begins to grow. You know, I notice this about myself, and not to use just a, a silly analogy here, but if, if I can eat one meal a day, and I'm pretty much okay, Maybe I'll snack a little bit. I can eat one meal a day. But I realize that sometimes that's not healthy for me. And so in order for me to expand my appetite, what I have to do is something that I hate to do because I'm not a morning guy, is that I got to get up in the morning early enough to eat breakfast so that I can eat my lunch. Uh, I know it sounds silly. You guys are like, what, you just... You're just now learning how to adult? I mean, like, what's going on? You're eating breakfast? Oh, wow. No. I don't eat breakfast normally. It is not my favorite meal. Yes, it might be the most important meal, but it is not the most important meal to me. But this is what I find because this is what I'll do is I'll eat oatmeal for breakfast. I like oatmeal, actually. But as I start to eat oatmeal in the morning, what happens is that I'll find that my appetite and my energy begin to expand. Friends, listen, it's the same way in our spiritual walk as we redig the well. And what we mean by, by saying, God, we need you to expand our heart is this, is that we have to, to niche out some quality time. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm a, just personally a big advocate of the morning time where you say, listen, this is my time with the Lord that I spend with him, that I get into his presence. And that might mean just turning on some worship music. And just listening to the Lord, just meditating on something that he's done. Opening the Bible and reading a few scripture and letting it sink in and thinking about it. Praying, praying in the spirit. Whatever it is, you're creating an appetite. And what will happen is that will begin to grow. If you don't believe me, take this challenge. Jump onto YouVersion app if you have it on your phone and start a five-day reading plan. Don't go hard and fast. Just read a few scriptures. Find something small. But I promise you, as you start out and you stay faithful, it will create a hunger in your heart. I promise you. I promise you. 
That's how we expand our heart. And the last thing is this, very simply. Digging the well of faith is anchor on the promise. Anchor on the promise. In Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, this is a chunk of of scripture here I want to read to you. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So after great, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. (laughs) That's a nice take on that. In verse 16, people swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where a forerunner, Jesus, is entered on our our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot of words in this passage we just read, but here, this gives us a snapshot leading us all the way back before Genesis 26 to Genesis 14 where we see an interchange where the scripture tells us in Melchizedek, and some scholars believe this was a type, this was Jesus that, that came before Abraham. And Abraham made covenant with Melchizedek, and he made this promise. But the scripture tells us this that when God swore and made an oath with Abraham, because there is nobody else greater to swear on. Now stop and think. When you apply for credit or a loan or anything or you make a promise, listen, this is what you're doing is that you're putting the strength of your promise upon something. How much money you make, how much money you will make, how much assets you have, whatever it is. But the scripture here tells us this, because there was nothing higher for God to swear on. And this drives something into us that you need to hear and you need to receive because the writer here of Hebrews is speaking to people who understood the context of this promise that God had made with Abraham. And he says to them this, like Abraham, you who have come into Christ Jesus have the same security that Abraham had when God cut a covenant with him because he swore upon himself. And if he swears upon himself, he has to perform it. And when you anchor yourself to the promise that God has spoken, it is not based on your credit. It is not based on your worthiness. It is not based on what you can do. It is only based upon His Word. Hmm. And what the Scripture tells us here is this. By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, A lot of our problems when it comes to digging the well of faith is this, is because we filter it through the experiences where either we've lied or people have lied to us. Stop. The promises of God are not based in your experiences that you've had, 
with people on this earth. If mom or dad lets you down or a husband or wife lets you down or somebody lets you down, it is not who God is. It is not who God is. These are unchangeable truths. God cannot lie. And this hope, this hope is not just a hope. This is not... This is not a flimsy hope. This hope is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. The author of Hebrews writes and says it enters into the sanctuary behind the curtain where a forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Here's what he is saying is this. Is that when we anchor ourselves to the promise, what we're doing is this. Is that we're not extending out a hope to say, God, I really... I really hope you do this. And we're not negotiating and making plans and, and, and trying to arrange a deal with God. What we're doing instead is that we're listening to what he said. And we're saying, I believe that to be true. Why? Because you who have promised it cannot lie. And I'm anchoring it upon your truth. But not only that, but we have been given a position through Jesus Christ. And any Jewish believer that read this, this book, this Hebrews, this passage would understand this, that what the author is saying is this, is something that was reserved only, only, only for the high priest to come past the curtain into the most holy place has now been opened up to every one of us through Jesus Christ. Friends, you don't stand far off. And when you anchor your promise, you're not just simply asking and hoping in the nature of your own soul. But what you're doing is this, is that you're rooting it upon the truth of Jesus Christ that gives you access before the very throne room of God. He invites you in. Why is that, why is that significant? And, and I think sometimes we miss this, but I just want to just dive just a smidge deeper for just a second because, man... We're missing so much sometimes. You don't want to stand outside the holy place. It's good. You're still going to get a little bit of like the vibe. <laughs> you don't want to stand in the outer court. It's good. You'll get some of the effect. But you want to get into the very holy of holies. You want to get into the very presence of God. Why? 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 This is where we miss it. Because when you get into the holy of holies, you're not speculating anymore. You're not saying, oh, I wonder what's happening. You're not saying, oh, it must be great to be there. But you're there and you're on the front row seat. Not only that, but when you're in the holy of holies, it is not your reflection bouncing off God, but God's reflection bouncing off you. And when God's reflection bounces off you, your world looks totally different. Oh, man, listen, I just get excited about that. Y'all let me get excited about that for just a second, please. Because here's the thing, is that a lot of times when we pray and we're digging this well of faith, we're doing it in the reflection of ourselves. But here's what Hebrews says. You don't got to do that anymore. You don't got to wonder. You don't got to wait. You've got access and when we spend the time to get in the presence of God, my situation looks so much different. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh. Mm. Friends, let's get into the presence of God. 
Let's just spend the time getting into the presence of God where we begin to be changed in his presence and the reflection of him begins to just push onto us and we begin to see differently. Oh, man, don't speculate on the outside. You've been given VIP treatment. All right. We all have through Jesus Christ. Everyone has through Jesus Christ. Hmm. All right, let me pray for you this morning. Thank y'all. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I just thank you for the well of faith that you've placed in this church. God, I just thank you so much. Lord, for what you're doing in the hearts and the lives of these people. Now, just with every head bowed and every eyes closed. If you have not made and anchored your life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ today. I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I thank you for what you did at the cross When you allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be shed, I believe that it covers my sin. And I believe that your blood reconciles me to God. I believe that what you did at the cross not only covers my sin, but makes me a new creation. I receive you, Jesus. I ask you to cleanse my heart. I receive you, Jesus, as the Lord of my life. For those of you this morning that say, listen, Pastor, I want to begin to dig that well of faith again in my life. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just slip up your hand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. You can put your hands down. Thank you. I pray for us. Lord, in this church, Father, that we would begin to dig that well of faith again to trust you and the promises that you've called us to. God, that we would begin to expand our hearts. We ask you, just begin to expand our hearts for more of you, Lord. If there's something that you need to clean, to remove, then do it. Would you just put the reflection and the revelation of Jesus so deep inside of us? Would you cause it to grow and to grow? Lord, I pray, Father, for every person here that is, Lord, just trusting you in a step of faith that you are calling them to. God, I pray that they would not give up. Lord, that they would anchor themselves to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, that they would anchor themselves to the word of God and that they would continue, Lord, to walk towards you. I pray, Father, for those this morning that are walking through and they're striving against contention. Lord, I just declare your peace and your rest over their hearts. Help us to hear your voice, Lord. Help us to trust you. Lord, help us not to give up. Lord, show us what you're doing in our lives as we trust you. Father, I thank you for those here this morning that are just trusting you for healing. I thank you, God, that you are the healer. Lord, just let the continued work of healing 
happen in our physical bodies, in our souls, in our minds. Father, I thank you for those who are called, Lord, that you have called to take a step of faith in a direction, God. I thank you for the courage, Lord, to trust you. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lead us. Guide us. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for us as a church that we would begin to hunger for your presence, Lord, that we would get into a a place of prayer. Lord, that as a church, we would, Lord, dig that well of faith. Strong, Lord, that what springs forth out of that, Lord, would not only, Lord, just begin to grow our faith, but, Lord, overflow out of us into this community. That, Father, we would be a lighthouse, a hospital, Lord, to those who need freedom, that need, Lord, to grow Father God, that need to have a revelation of your love, of the truth of your peace, God. Make us that house, Lord, I pray. Lord, I thank you for these people. I bless them in the name of Jesus. Lord, with your great grace, God, with your love and your mercy, amen. Amen.